Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keen, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keen. Episode 27, Parker's MMA Show, back in your life here. Um, Billy, great card this weekend, UFC 248. Um, I think personally it over-delivered. You know, there's a lot of talk about this main event, how it under-delivered. But the card as a whole, I thought was, I mean, phenomenal from top to bottom. Um, Let's start with the main event. We had Yoel Romero taking on Israel Adesanya in the middleweight championship fight. Um, What did you think watching that fight live? And how did you score it live? I've I've watched it twice, so I'll tell you kind of how I had it both ways. But go ahead. Sure. So I agree with you. I think the card completely over delivered. Um, you know, I was texting people heading into the main event that I thought this was one of the best UFC cards I'd ever seen in my lifetime. Um, mm-hmm. Just the sheer excitement of it. And then you have this snoozer of a main event. I mean, quite frankly, you're sitting there kind of waiting for something to happen. It reminded me of the meme with the guy poking the dead thing with the stick. Like, come on, do something. Um, have you but, seen the memes uh, about the when you're teaching your buddy to play UFC three on Xbox <laughs> and he's trying out the buttons that that was spot on to yellow Romero in the first round. I'm like, what is he doing? It went almost I think it was two and a half minutes before he even took a step towards Izzy. He just had his hands up, switching his legs, being a weirdo. Yeah, man. And you know what? Like, if that's not a 10-10, I think we should move, remove that as a possible score in MMA. Because to me, that's as clear as day at 10-10, inactivity, um, guys clearly not going for it. And so I had that round tied. I had the second 10-9 for Yoel. Then I had the last three to Izzy. So I was perfectly fine with anyone who wanted to give it 4-1 to Izzy or 3-2 to Izzy. But um I just don't see any way Yoel Romero won that fight, to be honest. So tell me a little more about 10-10 rounds. Is that, it's obviously not very common in MMA, but what is it predominantly used for? Is it used for inactivity? Is it used for you know very hard-to-judge competitive rounds? What is a 10-10 usually used for? Yeah, so it's supposed to be used for inactivity. Essentially, the the verbiage, I looked this up last night on on the command website, which is the referee training course that John McCarthy runs. And uh, basically what it says is a 10-10 is supposed to be used very sparingly. And -hmm. it's really about a draw due to inactivity or if there's limited moments of action in a particular round um, and it's kind of even. Um, it's not supposed to be used under any circumstance to when a round is close and a judge just doesn't want to pick a winner. So that situation in round one, I think, is almost a textbook 10-10 in terms of it was a relatively even round that was basically defined by inactivity. Okay, well, that makes sense. So I had it uh, three to two, Izzy. I gave round one and round two to Yoel. Um, round one, I agree with you, could have been a 10 10. The only reason I gave it to Yoel is because he landed that big left hand that clearly hurt Izzy. You know, his eye was all watered up. And he, he even said it, on, I think, on Luke, po- Luke Thomas's podcast and Ariel that he was hurt. He was clipped. Um, and he was shocked that Yoel didn't come in after him or, 
you know, try to chase him down and capitalize on that. So I gave one and two to Yoel. And then, I mean, clearly three, four and five were all Izzy. And he really didn't do much besides those leg kicks. And you obviously see the toll that those had on Yoel. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a clear three to two for Izzy. And he retains his belt. Um, People are ripping this fight. They said everyone online was saying, you know, this is the most boring fight in recent history. Yes. I had to explain to my brother, that my little brother, that was the Anderson Silva move. I had to show him some Nick Diaz highlight tapes and Anderson Silva. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was bizarre. What, what do you think as far as ranking that and probably most boring UFC fights slash title fights you've ever seen? Where does that one fall? Um, Probably right along the lines of Woodley against Wonderboy 2. Um, kind of actually a very similar fight to me where it was a lot of inactivity, a lot of hesitancy to move in. Um, to me, the the most boring title fight that I've watched live is Tyron Woodley against Damian Maya. Mm-hmm. I thought that was just an absolute snoozer. Um, and I'm someone who loves wrestling, loves grappling, as we'll get into later, but... I mean, that was terrible. I thought Izzy against Romero was a, a, a tick more exciting than that. I, I was definitely tense waiting for something to happen. Um, Yoel can end a fight at any moment. Israel Adesanya kind of feels like he can end a fight at any moment with the accuracy of his striking. So um, that kind of kept me interested and glued to the TV, but very similar to Tyron Woodley against Wonderboy 2 which is a fight that I recommend that absolutely no one watch ever again. Yeah, no, I agree. And after about the third round, my feelings for that kind of left, like with, you know, Woodley and wonder boy and wonder boy versus till there was, it was kind of on the edge of your seat action because you knew how technical it was. You knew those guys, how dangerous of strikers they are. And at any moment they could switch the lights out. but. To me, I mean, Yoel just decided not to fight is what it comes down to for me. And, you know, like in those in those previous fights, we've seen Tyron Woodley get bashed, you know, because he didn't push the action or he wasn't risky enough. But I just I don't think Yoel had any intention of pushing the offense. He just had this very, very strange seem one dimensional defensive style. And that was all he brought to the table. There wasn't like a plan B and that's not Yoel Romero if Yoel Romero hurts you or clips you at any point he's going to come after you and try to put you away so I I have no idea what the hell he was thinking but I think the blame for this falls 100% on Yoel Romero and not Israel Adesanya yeah I completely agree with you Parker I, I felt like it was similar to me like when you see sometimes in like the Champions League right where Real Madrid will play some team from like Eastern Europe that doesn't feel they have a chance. And they put 10 guys basically on defense. They don't try and score goals. They just try and eke out a goalless draw and and get to penalties. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what it felt like from Yoel Romero. I mean, it was just, it was completely defensive. It was, you know, basically at no moment in the fight did he open up to try and engage with Adesanya, even in moments where, Adesanya was hurt or overextending or, um, you know, moments where I thought that Yoel could, we could kind of see some of these explosive bursts that we've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. And 
Yoel Romero just had no intention to have any offense in that fight, I felt. And so I, I agree with you. I actually thought Izzy was trying to feint and trying to open him up and trying to find the find the opening. And I don't think you can really blame Izzy for, number one, dodging punches, which everyone's saying, like, he's running. It's like, look, like, you know, what's he supposed to do? Stand there and get hit in the face by a tank of a man? And then the second part is he was clearly trying to bait Yoel into doing something, and the, the leg kicks were the only thing that was open. So mm-hmm. he took them. Um, so I, I agree with you. I don't really blame Adesanya for this as much as I just think Romero basically played all defense and didn't try and engage at all. So what do we think the game plan was for Yoel? Just to go in there and, what, bore Izzy to death and then explode maybe at the very end? It, it, was, it was just bizarre. I mean, no bullshit. We had two minutes and 30 seconds of these guys just staring at each other. Yoel not moving, shelling up, and then Izzy just throwing air feints. It was bizarre. I've never seen anything like that in a UFC fight. Well, and if you're if you're Mike Brown, if you're Dan Lambert, if you're the American top team guys game planning for this, um, you know, they're fantastic coaches. They're some of the best coaches in the entire world. But I can't imagine that the game plan was literally just sit back and hope that we can hit this explosion for a guy who's 42 years old on his third UFC title shot. I mean, Yoel Romero is not getting another shot at 185. So this was his last hurrah. I don't understand why you don't go for broke in that. Yeah, I mean, you saw, what, three takedown attempts. One, he was able to get him down. Two, I think Izzy did a good job of sprawling and getting out of him. But last week, I mean, when we we were breaking down this fight, we talked about it. I, I, I thought, and I heard Israel say that he was expecting a lot of this. You know, Yoel to trap him up against the fence, try to clinch with them dirty box, trip him, get him to the ground. But we saw, I mean, zero of that. Nothing. Zero offense. It was one of the most bizarre performances I've ever seen. And I totally agree from a guy that, I mean, this is, gonna, this is his last shot. There's no way with these younger guys that I, I don't think he's going to be able to make his way back to middleweight gold. But, um, I mean, you got to go for it. You're in there. You got to go for it. That's not Israel's job is to get out of there with his belt. Your job is to go for it and take it from him. And that didn't happen. And to me, that's not Yoel Romero. That's not the Yoel Romero I love. I, I, I don't know what the hell was going on in his head or, or what. I mean, it was just bizarre. That's, I think that's the best word for it, bizarre. I mean, that's your legacy if you're Yoel. That's your legacy that you squandered because you didn't engage with Israel Adesanya. Like at the end of the day, like mm-hmm. you had a chance to itch your name in a limited number of men who have won the UFC middleweight championship. And mm-hmm. you basically chose not to do it. And you chose not to go for it. And like nobody faults the guys like Joe Benavidez or Uriah Faber or Dan Henderson who went for it, go went for broke, tried their hardest, you know went and fought and and gave their heart in that octagon and came up short. Nobody blames those guys. Nobody looks down upon those guys. I think this really harms Yoel Romero's legacy because we're all going to sit there and remember at some level in his last shot when he was down to his last moment, Yoel Romero chose to sit back and play it safe. 
And like that's never been something that MMA fans have appreciated. Well, and this was also a gift. I mean, for him to even get the title fight was a gift. You had Paulo Costa got hurt in their fight. He's out for, you know, a year. And Israel basically gifted him another shot at the title. And then to fight like that, it was just sickening. I I don't I don't know where he's at mentally because I, I know the people behind him and that's not a game plan, like you said, that Mike Brown came up with, Dan Lambert came up with. That Jim's not gonna be proud of that. You see what, you know, kind of fight they had in the previous fight with Joanna. You see what they've done with, you know, George Mosvidal over the last year or so. These are fighters that want to go for the kill and want to win. And that was not what I saw from Yoel Romero this weekend. So even Colby Covington, who everybody yeah. loves to criticize, he fought Usman. That guy went for it. He yeah. went for it. He, he tried his hardest to get that UFC title. And like, if nothing else, like you can appreciate that from the American top team guys. I mean, Kyoji Horiguchi, he's gone for it. Like these guys come out and they fight and they get, they get after it. They they give it their all. They leave everything they have in the octagon. Every superlative and cliche you can think of describes the fighters from American Top Team. And in my opinion, what Yoel Romero did is just not, it is not on the level and not reminiscent of those other title fight performances from guys from that gym. And it's really baffling to me. Or any fight that Yoel's ever had. I mean, Yoel's never had a fight like that. No, never, never. He goes for it. He goes for it. And I don't understand what he was doing this time. So let's talk about Yoel. So where do we think he goes from here? I've I've been shouting at the rooftops for the last two or three years that he needs to go up to light heavyweight. I think, you know, we saw the middleweight experience with Luke Rockhold, Chris Weidman, Jacare. But Yoel is a guy that I think if he could move up to 205, not have to cut that weight. A 205 healthy, strong Yoel Romero could be very, very scary, even at 42 years old with the current stock in light heavyweight. So um, I would like to see him move up there. I don't think there's anything left for him at middleweight. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't see any way he gets back to the middleweight title. And to be honest, if you're 42 and you fought at the high level that he has for this long, I don't know why you continue fighting if you can't fight for a title. So I agree. I'd move up to 205, and I'd love to see him take on the winner of Johnny Walker against Nikita Krylov this weekend. I think it's a perfect. I think it's a perfect matchup for him. Yeah. So yeah, that's that, a great that'd one. Be my um, recommendation. I had I had written down Tiago Santos. I think would be a fun fight. Volkan Uzdemir would be a fun fight. You never know. Yoel said he wants to fight for 10 more years. I don't know if that's real or he's just saying that. But Yoel could be a guy that can move up, you know, the extra 15 pounds, just give him a second life in the UFC. How crazy that sounds. But, I mean, it's, it could ha- definitely happen. I could see that happening. Hey, Parker, even Corey Anderson, I think, would be a fun fight for Yoel. Yeah. Um, I-, I think there's a lot of guys up there that are kind of in that, you know, top 10 contender status at light heavyweight who. Yoel Romero could be very competitive with at 205. So I would love to see him do that. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Izzy. So with this fight, um, I've, I've seen a lot of people comparing this fight to some that Anderson Silva had throughout his career. The bottom line is if you're going to run, run the show at middleweight, you're going to have some ups and downs, just like the stock market. You're going to go up, you're going to go down, you're going to have spectacular performances. You're going to have performances that just get by, you know, 
do what you do to retain your strap. But what, if anything, do you think last weekend did to Israel's stock? I think it just delays his rise to superstardom, right? Mm -hmm. I I think when we look back on this fight and on Israel's career in, you know, 10, 20 years, we're not going to, we're not going to remember how boring this fight was. Um, you know, people, when people talk about Anderson Silva, they don't talk about the Damian Maya fight. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't talk about like the Tiago Alves fight with George St. Pierre. Um, it's just, it's one of these things where he checks the box. He gets Yoel's name on his resume. Mm -hmm. He gets another title defense, starts to build himself up. And, you know, I think the the next fight's going to be Paulo Costa, and I think it's going to be exciting. I think Paulo Costa is, is a bit of a brawler, to be honest, mm-hmm. and he's going to come forward and force it, and that's going to be it. I, I just think this is going to be forgettable, whereas if Izzy knocked out Yoel Romero or beat up Yoel Romero in really convincing fashion and something that could produce a highlight, we'd all be talking about it. Every social media account would be posting about it. But the fact is, it's not. And it's not hurting Izzy's stock. It's just kind of keeping him right where he is. No, I agree. Um, to me, I mean, he he won the weekend. He got out of there with the win against Joel Romero. He took very little damage. He kept his belt. He basically set up a fight with Paulo Costa that's going to be a giant fight. It's going to push him to the brink. It's gonna That's going to deliver action. If I had to tell you, I mean, I see that. As I saw the Wailing Zhang versus Joanna fight, that's going to be an action fight. That's going to be awesome. So I, I totally agree. I, I think um, it was a big stage. It was his first pay per view in the United States. I think the UFC regroups, makes that fight in New York, the Paulo Costa Israel Adesanya. And if he goes in there and knocks out Paulo Costa in spectacular fashion, I mean, he's fucking huge. Huge. So I agree with you. I, I think it. It's a small dip in his stock for this week, but MMA fans have very, very short memories. It's all about, you know, what do you do next? What do you do next? What do you do next? So I agree. I, I don't think it's going to haunt him at all. Um, the biggest takeaway for me is he has zero damage. You look at Yoel Romero's last opponents, you know, Robert Whitaker, he had his knee torn up. Chris Weidman, Luke Rockhold, knocked out viciously. We're never the same again. So Yoel's a, a guy that he's similar to like Justin Gaethje similar at lightweight. Like if you go lightweight. through a war with him, you're not coming out of there and you're not fighting in six months. So, I mean, it was best case scenario. Obviously, I think Israel wanted, wanted a knockout or a better performance, but he got the win, put Yoel on his list, and he's healthy. So I think it's a win-win. Um, what do you make of the notion of people... And we got this a little bit, you know, after the Anderson Silva fight. But what do you make of the notion of people saying that Israel Adesanya is a boring fighter? Oh, my God. It's again, it's one of these things where people just tell on themselves. They tell on themselves that they don't watch these fights. Go watch the Kelvin Gastelum against Israel Adesanya fight and tell me how boring Izzy is. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously, that's it. That's all you need. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was a fight of the year contender. Outside of that, he's got four performance bonuses, three TKOs. He knocked out Robert Whitaker, for God's sake. He's now 19-0 with 14 knockouts. So the guy, Israel comes to fight. To me, this is just a very, very, stylistically, it was just a weird matchup. It's the bottom line. You have two counterfighters, and this is what happens when 
one doesn't want to push the action. You just have them staring at each other and hoping someone will make the first move, and they didn't. And this was this was the uh, result. So, um, what did you make of Dana? Dana was very very accommodating to Izzy after the fight, and we haven't seen him treat champions like this in the past. Um, comes to mind really Tyrone Woodley in specific. You know, in specific comes to mind after his Maya fights and his Wonder Boy fights. Dana absolutely ripped him in the media in the in the post conference um, sessions, and he really didn't do that to Izzy. He supported Izzy. So, what did you make of that? Well, let's not forget too. Dana ripped George St. Pierre for being boring. Dana ripped Anderson Silva for being boring. Um, and I think, quite frankly, he's learning his lesson. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable to think about Dana White like kind of changing his stripes here, but. Uh, you know, this is a guy who he clearly sees a big future with globally and sees that can make a lot of money and, you know, destroying his credibility is not a way to do that. So, um, I, I appreciated Dana's reaction to this fight. Yeah, no, me too. Um, all right. So I think both of us agree that Paulo Costa is next for Izzy. Um, when do you see that fight going down and give me some of your early thoughts on that fight, what it's going to look like? I think uh, it's going to happen in July or August. I think uh, Izzy is going to come out ready to really put on a show. And I think Paulo Costa is kind of a reckless fighter, to be honest. And it's worked for him in the past. But I think he's going to try and brawl with Izzy. And I think it's going to be a huge mistake. No, I agree. I think the buildup to this one's going to be pretty, pretty nasty. Um, these guys have been talking shit for the last two years. Um, and I agree. I think Paulo Costa is going to come in. He's going to push the action. He's going to want to get in a firefight with Izzy. And I think Izzy's going to knock him out. And I think this is what really is going to set Izzy up for stardom, especially in the United States. If they have this in Vegas or New York or something, and he's all over ESPN again, and then he gets a vicious highlight reel knockout. Um, I think that's going to be the big launch for Izzy. Izzy as a global star. Yeah. Um, I also think we're spending too much time on a fight that was extremely boring to watch and we should move on to the real stars of the weekend. Our 22 minutes on that fight were more exciting than the fight itself. <laughs> All right. So Joanna Young Jacek and Weiling Zhang went to absolutely freaking war. Um, Crazy fight. One of, I think it's the best fight I've seen in the modern MMA, you know, UFC era. Um, what did you think initially just watching the fight live? Tell me a little bit about the experience of watching it live. And um, then we'll talk about how we scored it. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat the entire time, like jaw on the floor can't yeah. believe what's happening i mean you know me i'm a massive massive joanna young jaychick fan and like it was it was incredible to watch this and i just find it so funny that like anik and rogan and dc are trying to like avoid the hyperbole and they're like among the best women's strawweight title fights of all time. Like, they don't want to come out and say, like, how great that just was. Let me tell you something, Parker. That is the best women's strawweight fight of all time. 
the best women's title fight of all time, the best women's MMA fight of all time, and I'll give you my hot take. I think that is the greatest MMA fight at, between two people under 170 pounds of all time. I have to think about that one, but yeah, no, I'm on board. I mean, Edgar Maynard would be probably the yeah, one that no, a lot of people reference. I was, I was thinking those, um, Diego Sanchez, the couple Diego Sanchez ones with Gil Melendez and chat or, uh, like Guida, those come to mind, but those weren't title fights. Um, I agree. I, this was a fucking crazy fight. These two girls, just went in there and they were willing to die in there. I mean, that was crazy shit. Every time that Wailing Zhang hit hit Joanna with one of those big overhands, I was just waiting for her to go out. But as soon as she wore those shots, she was coming right back with her own shots. I mean, it was it was incredible. I've watched it three times now, and every time it gets better and better. That is one of the <laughs> most just violent technical showcases of the highest level of mixed martial arts we can see. I mean, it was fucking unbelievable. I mean, you know what fight it reminded me of that is probably going to be sacrilegious to a lot of people in the MMA space, but I really don't care. It it felt like the female version of uh, Fedor versus Krokop from Pride to me. Like, yeah. just two people at the absolute top of their game going to war, giving, like, with technique, there is toughness, there was brawling, there was, you know, technicality. I mean, it was beautiful. It was incredible what these two women did on Saturday night. Okay, so I've watched it three times, and I, I've scored it the exact same um, every time. I had the first round going to Weiling Zhang. Um, I thought it was close through about halfway through, and then she started getting some confidence and landing those big shots, and I thought she ended up doing more of the damage throughout the first round. Um, the middle frames I gave to Joanna. So I had two, three, and four all going to Joanna. Um, I just thought she brought a better pace. Round three and four, Weiling Zhang started to fade a little bit, and Joanna was coming on. And then, honestly, um, round five was a toss-up. Round five could have went either way. So in my eyes, I'm, I'm not upset with the decision. Um, I, I would have been happy to see either girl win. I would have been happy for a draw. I mean, honestly, it was that close. It was just, it was neck and neck the whole, from the first bell. So how, how did you score it live? So I scored it one, three, five, both times I've had it for Joanna, which is hilarious that we both scored it three rounds so, to two for Joanna, but, um, you know, different rounds. Right. And I, I think it's a razor thin fight. I, I don't know kind of how else to put this other than like, this I I think it should have been a draw. Like I know yeah. we do like round by round scoring, but like that is as even a mixed martial arts fight as you will see, in my opinion. And I, I want to run it back. I hate immediate rematches. You know, I argue against them all the time on this you podcast. Said that, you but, said that the the night of. You said I hate immediate rematches, but I don't. I think it's to me. We'll talk about the possible options, but this is one. I think Joanna. Hopefully she didn't sustain any major injuries or anything, but I think she's just back. I think her confidence is back and going through a war like that with Weiling Zhang, she's going to feel on top of the world. There was no losers in that fight. That was a fucking phenomenal fight. Phenomenal fight. So yeah, my experience live, like I told you, I've watched it three times. I watched it live at my house. It was 
know, edge of my seat the whole time, just hanging on every single punch. And then I've watched it with my brother and then my dad. And I mean, everyone was buzzing about that fight. I had people calling me, texting me, Instagramming me. Did you see that fucking fight? Did you see that fight? It's crazy. Crazy. So, all right, let's, um, for me. How about this, Parker? Go ahead. Do you remember when they booked Wiley Zhang against Jessica Andrade for the title fight in China? Do you remember the backlash to that? Like, people basically saying, like, oh, the UFC is just trying to cash in in China. She doesn't really deserve it. You know, it should be the Joanna rematch or Tatiana Suarez. Like, are we ready as an MMA community to admit we were 100% wrong? And myself included? Like, Wiley Zhang is as legit as they come at 115. And anyone who... I I think that's the best Joanna we've seen in years. Three or four years. 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 Since she lost to Rose. I think that's the best Joanna we've seen since the Andrade fight in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. That... Fuck, what a great fight. So, all right, let's get to this question. Um, You kind of already answered it, but where does this rank all-time for female MMA? Where do you rank it as the best title fight, regardless of gender? Number one one female MMA fight of all time. And And I don't don't even think it's that close. No, it's not close. It's not close. Um, Like, Holm Tate would probably be second for me, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, not that close. And then as far as title fights go, I I mean I I don't have that many like great title fights that are coming to my mind right now. I think this is 1A 1B with John Jones and Gustafson. That was a very very similar fight to me. Um so for me, I'm going to say above and beyond that's the best female fight MMA fight I've ever seen in my life and I'm going to put that as a 1A 1B to John Jones Gustafson 1 um that was just an all-time great they talked about uh that fight going into the Hall of Fame this weekend we're going to see this fight in the Hall of, Hall of Fame in a couple of years I mean that's that's first ballot Hall of Fame just absolute war from start to finish um all right so what were your takeaways? Obviously, there was a lot of questions surrounding Wailing Zhang and her claim to the title. Did she deserve it? You know, with Rose being out, with Joanna being, you know, not the champion anymore. What What did you learn about her? And then what did you learn about Joanna, the new, seemingly reborn Joanna? I mean, we knew Zhang had power. We knew that that was kind of her calling card, and she showed it. I mean... You know, Rogan has talked over and over and over about this conditioning video of Wiley Zhang's uh, conditioning, and it's on point, certainly. And um, I I think she showed every bit of it on Saturday night. And then you have Joanna, who, you know, we knew we knew how good Joanna was at Muay Thai. We knew how hard it was to to strike with her and how good her technique was. And she showed that on Saturday night. And. These two girls, it was like unstoppable force meets immovable object, and they just went at it. It was, I mean, I I like am at a loss for words in some senses. I'm like trying to technically break down this fight, but all I can say to people is like, just go watch it. Watch it over and over and over again. It is so exciting. It is so good. It is the highest level of mixed martial arts 
that you will ever see in in a given fight. And um, you know, hats off to both women. I, I just want to see it again. Eight hundred total strikes combined. How fucking crazy is that? That is the pace. Just the pace of that fight. The skill is next level, but the pace to keep that up for five rounds just coming at each other is fucking unbelievable. I, I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again for a while. That was amazing. Um, I really think that's going to motivate that one, everyone in that 115 weight class. It's already the best weight class in women's MMA, but I, I think that's going to make people raise the bar to see what the potential of a woman in that weight class is. That was just that was excellence. That was MMA excellence that we witnessed this weekend. It was fucking incredible. So, um, all right, let's talk about the pay real quick. This is this really this really upset me. I hated this. But apparently, Weiling Zhang is walking away with around two hundred thousand dollars, a hundred k to to fight, a hundred k to win, and Joanna's walking around with a hundred and six thousand dollars after that five round bell to bell just fucking war what are your thoughts on the injustice there that is fucked up ufc fighters if any of you listen to this unionize get a union you need a fighters union you need to get your fair share of the revenues from these events where you guys sacrifice your health for our entertainment Get a union. UFC fighters are criminally underpaid. It's so, so bad, and they need to figure it out. Will those girls see a share of the pay-per-view, or is that just for the main event? They should see a share of the pay-per-view because uh, it's a championship fight. Dana needs to stroke both of them a check for a million dollars. It's an all-time fight, and you got paid a hundred k to do it. I mean, Diego Sanchez made that amount of money to take an illegal knee from Michelle Pereira. Oh, we can't get through an episode without talking about Diego Sanchez and his breathing coach. All right, um, so yeah, stop. We're not doing any Josh Fabia breathing episodes this uh, this episode. So. Let's talk about uh, this. Kind of bothered me. What, did you make anything of them keeping Joanna in the ring um, for it seemed like fifteen minutes after the fight was over? I was I was screaming at the TV when I was watching it live to get her to the hospital, especially after we've had what three or four deaths this year from head trauma and, and boxing alone. Um, I was worried about that. That was the worst hematoma, swollen head, whatever you want to call it that I've ever, ever seen. I mean, she was deformed and they're holding her around to do, you know, interviews after the fights and say hi to fans, like get her to the fucking hospital. Yeah. I, uh, I thought that was a pretty bad visual and I was even more upset, honestly, with kind of the reaction from social media. I know the internet loves to rip people, but you know, that poor woman, I mean, she took some shots and, and it was pretty swollen. I, I still think Matt Mitrione is the worst hematoma I've ever seen, to be honest. But, but that was more uh, of just that was eye, up there. Right? That was more just yeah. his eye, right? That was yeah, bizarre. But, it was her whole forehead. Yeah, I, I mean, it's certainly not good. What do we make of DC calling it that thing? I was laughing my ass off watching that live. Uh. Daniel Cormier can do no wrong at this point. That guy can say whatever he wants on the UFC broadcast as far as I'm concerned. 
Oh, he's the best. All right, um, let's lay out what's next for these girls. Um, I just want to go over all the options, and then I want us to kind of pick what we think would be best. Um, so for Weiling Zhang, immediate re- rematch to me is option A. Um, option B, she gets the winner of Rose versus Jessica Andrade. Option C, she moves up and takes a uh, super fight with Valentina, which after seeing how she matched up with Joanna physically, I'm not shouting for that one. She, Joanna was clearly bigger in there, I thought. And when I watched Joanna versus Valentina, Valentina was much, much bigger than Joanna. So I just don't know how that power is going to translate if she goes up to fight Valentina. So those were kind of my three options for uh, Weiling Zhang. Uh, for Joanna, I want to see an immediate rematch. I think that's option A for her as well. Option B, which I think would be gigantic. If Rose can get a win, you make a third trilogy fight with her and Joanna, and then the winner goes to fight Weiling Zhang. So that, that's kind of what has been playing out in my head. What are you thinking? I want to see an immediate rematch. I, uh, I actually, you know, obviously there's uh, coronavirus concerns, but I, I would love to see an immediate rematch. Get these girls some time on the shelf, first of all. Let them heal up. Let them get healthy. But then I'd like to see an immediate rematch in China of um, Zhang versus Joanna 2 main event in China on ESPN+. I think that's perfect. I would love to see that. So I think um, that's that my Madi- vote. That Madison Square Garden card at the end of the year would be an awesome place for that. Get get That Wailing would be good, Zang too. Some, yeah, get Wailing Zhang some more exposure in america i i don't think she needs any more help in china after that performance she's going to be like a global a a national hero for bringing home gold and defending that so um all right um after a fight like this what what kind of toll do you think we we can expect this is going to take on these fighters obviously joanna has been someone that's been around forever she's had a lot of five round grueling fights for Weiling Zhang, this is really her first time going five rounds. Um, I know a lot of ex-fighters, especially like Chael Sonnen, is so against five-round fights just because you see what it does to you. It, it takes a toll on you. It's going to affect the longevity of your career. What do you make of that war, and do you think that's going to have any negative effects on either of these two girls moving forward? Yeah, so look, you're not coming back for International Fight Week after that fight. So if I'm them, I'm on I'm on the shelf for probably six months and then planning to get ready, like you said, for the November Madison Square Garden card. Like, I think that's kind of the perfect timeline for both women is, you know, put them on the shelf for six months, let it marinate. You know, you're, you got to let number one, Rose against Andrade, but also we got to wait for Tatiana Suarez to get back. I mean, that's the other kind of boogie woman of this, uh, of this division. So I think just put them on the shelf for six months and then come back maybe in November. But like you said, I mean, there's no way you don't come out of that the same fighter. There's just no way. No, no, I agree. Um, but at the end of the day, one of the best fights I've ever seen in my life, the just, Huge shout out to those girls for just putting on a fucking epic show. Um, that's one I'll never forget. That was incredible, incredible. So let's move on to the Irish and the Dagestanis inserting themselves in every headline ever of any show. So Islam Makachev tweets out, this is not a woman's sport. 
palm to the face. <laughs> and then not moments later, does Conor McGregor jump in and go after him? What did you make of all that back and forth and Conor and Khabib and Khabib's camp going at each other again? Look, there's a lot of stuff Conor says where I'm kind of scratching my head, like, how could you possibly think that? In my opinion, what Islam Makachev said is vile. I mean, it's disgusting. It's something where UFC and MMA in general has really asserted itself as probably the only sport on planet Earth that actually treats men and women the same. They give men and women similar payouts, similar spots on cards, um, similar media exposure on their social media channels. And I just think this idea of that Islam is putting forth with his whole, you know, this is not a women's sport is backwards and disgusting and there's no place for it in MMA. No, I totally agree. All right. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Billy's Hardcore Grappling Moment. I'm going to go take a piss, and then we're going to talk about Sugar Sean. So you got two minutes. Ready, go. (laughs) All right. So grappling had a great stage at UFC 248. Um, Two guys that I really want to highlight. Rodolfo Vieira, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion, um, tried to kind of strike with the guy early. Nearly got his eye closed, um, but really untouchable on the ground. I mean, the strength it takes and the technique it takes to get the trip he got and then sink in an arm triangle choke. I mean, very, very impressive. Um, I, I think he could be a problem at light heavyweight. And then the other guy I liked was Mark Madsen. Talked about him last week, and um, I thought the wrestling was on full display. Uh, looked very hittable in the striking realm, but at the end of the day, I mean... If you haven't seen the suplex that Mark Madsen hit, I highly recommend Googling that highlight. But two guys who I think what's interesting about them is their grappling is so, so high level. Um, It's interesting to see if they can get better every single fight in the striking, what their ceiling is, and and if they can really challenge for a title here. I don't know, Parker, how did I do? You probably crushed it. Alright, so after two long years, Sugar Sean O'Malley back in action. Man, he he was one of the stars of the show. I mean, how calm, cool, collected, crisp, his movement, I mean everything. He Sugar Sean O'Malley crushed it. He couldn't have had a better day, I don't think. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how good he looked. Like he didn't even really need to warm up. Like he yeah. just came out and it was smooth. The timing was there. Um, he was creative. It it was unbelievable. I, I there was nothing more to say about Sean O'Malley. I mean, it was so flawless. Here's my only thing. How about this, Parker? August UFC Dublin. Rumors of McGregor. Rumors of other fighters. Give me Sean O'Malley against Nathaniel Wood live from the three arena in Dublin. What do you think about that? I love it. I love that. Love it. Love it. Love it. Especially if you could get him on a Conor McGregor card. He's got fucked out of, I think, two Conor McGregor cards now where he was pulled. Um, So that that would be a big stage and a big springboard for him to just become a gigantic star. He's got everything. The dude's got everything. He's I said it last week. He's Nate Diaz mixed with Conor McGregor. He's got it all. He's the full package. Um, 
he looks like he's filled in a lot. You know, his frame, he looks stronger. Just, he looks solid in there. I think he's put on about 10 pounds from when he was fighting, you know, two years ago. He said he walks at like 258 or 158 right now. So, um, man, Sugar Sean looked good. Smooth, calm, cool, collected. I'm totally down for Nathaniel Woods. Um, I had written down John Dodson. I think John Dodson's a fun fight. Jimmy Rivera. Someone in that 15, 10 to 15 range. Um, and then I think we're one or two fights from seeing Sugar Sean break into the top five at bantamweight. The other one that I think is kind of interesting, and I don't know if he would take it, but I'm definitely interested in it. Sugar Sean against Uriah Faber, I think, is a fun, fun fight. I, I looked at that today, and I was going to bring that up. I don't know if Uriah Faber would take that. He took the Ricky Simone fight, but I think Sugar Sean's a different animal. Um, I want to see Sugar Sean and Corey Sanhagen. That's I think Corey one. Sanhagen's going to fight Dominic Cruz in San Diego. Yeah. That's that's the word on the street. I told you Dominic Cruz is not done. He's coming back. He's coming back. So, um, yeah, Sugar Sean O'Malley absolutely crushed it. I'll, I'll be looking for him to make a very quick turnaround. He's talking about, at the latest, International Fight Week. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we see him headline a fight night card or something in between. That kid's going to be a big star. He's got it all. Got it all. Um. All right, let's talk about two more, and then we'll move on to this weekend's card. Um, Benil Dariush taking on Jakar Close. Do you like that pronunciation? Was that pretty good? Yeah, yeah it's perfect. He's <laughs> also American, Parker, so I'd hope you could get that guy's name right. Okay, all right. Um, awesome fight. I thought that was a great fight. Uh, what a great comeback knockout for Dariush. Um, he got clipped, and then he that left-handed knockout, I mean – that was unbelievable. That was shades of Kevin Lee, Gregor Gillespie, where he's knocked out on the fence, mouthpiece flying out. That was awesome. I absolutely loved it. I loved that fight. I thought, I mean, Daryush kind of showcased his whole arsenal, right? Because he had Close's back for the entire first round yeah. and then came back and uh, and knocked him out in the second. So mm-hmm. um, good to see Benny Daryush get, get another W. Um, he's kind of had a rough road. Ever since he got knocked out by Alex Hernandez, but um, would like to see him get someone, if not in the top fifteen, close to the top fifteen. Like if Francisco Trinaldo pulls off a win this weekend, I'm not opposed to that fight. Mm-hmm. And then um, Neil Magny was also out. I think he was out fourteen or sixteen months. Um, he looked awesome. He looked dominant just everywhere, striking, grappling, wrestling, clinch. I mean, he controlled that fight from start to finish, and. He looked as sharp as I've ever seen him. And Neil Magny, I mean, he's got a sneaky good record. I think he's, what, second in the most wins at welterweight? He's climbing or second or third, maybe. But he's, he's starting to get up there. And he's a guy, I think he can make another run towards the top five. Yeah, I mean, why not? Why, why not Neil Magny? I, I think the, the loss to RDA kind of set him back, but... Lee Jing Long was someone who I had pegged, uh, you know, on this card as someone who I thought was really going to make a statement. And Neil Magny dominated him. I mean, hit him with multiple flying knees, which is not something I thought I'd see out of Neil Magny. Absolutely loved the Michael Chiesa fight for him. And it seems like Chiesa likes it too. So I'm hoping we see that um, very shortly here. No, I agree. All right, let's move on. Um, overall, UFC 248, great, great card. 
um, stars of the show, Sugar Sean O'Malley, Joanna Wailing Zhang, and then Izzy adds to his list, adds to his resume, keeps winning, and sets up a gigantic fight with Paulo Costa. So overall, I thought it was a great card. Do you need a landscaping job tackled? Keen Landscaping is a family-owned and operated full-service landscaping company based in Dallas, Texas. Anything from property restoration and tree pruning or removal to landscape design, construction, and installation, Keen covers it all. They're also the official landscape company of the Dallas Stars. Learn more at KeenLandscaping.com. Again, that's K-E-A-N-E Landscaping.com. Let's move on. UFC is on the road again this weekend. They will be in Brasilia, Brazil. We've got UFC fight night. Kevin Lee taking on Charles Oliveira. Um, I love this fight at 155. Both of these guys, Kevin Lee seems to be on a resurgence since moving back down to 155. And then Charles Oliveira, what's he on like a six fight winning streak? He's been kicking ass lately. And I, I think that's a perfect this is a perfect matchup to kind of solidify jumping into that, you know, top five at 155 right now. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think this is, you know, a not necessarily like a number one contender fight, but maybe one fight removed from that. I think both of these guys, if they can win this one and then win one more, I think they can be right in contention for that title. Um, mm-hmm. I think both guys look awesome right now. I think Kevin Lee's been amazing since he moved to TriStar. I think uh, Charles Oliveira has basically beaten everyone except for uh, Paul Felder. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this. I think we're going to see some amazing scrambles in this fight. Yeah, Charles Oliveira is a performance of the night machine. He's got nine performance of the nights. Three-time submission of the night, three-time fight of the night, one submission of the year. He's got, I believe he's got the most submission wins in UFC history at 13 and the second most finishes in the company at 15. So this dude goes in there to finish fights. Kevin Lee, to me, is a guy that one day he's going to be a champion. As soon as he can put it all together, he's going to be a champion. He's got everything it takes to be a champion. Um... And I really think his move to TriStar is going to be gigantic for him. He really needed someone that could put it all together, like a Farasa Hobby. Um, and Farasa Hobby, I think, needed an heir apparent to GSP. So maybe Kevin Lee's the guy. Um, so what are you thinking? What's the best path to, to victory for Kevin Lee? I think Kevin Lee's got to keep this fight standing. I think Kevin Lee probably has the advantage in the striking. I think if this goes to the ground, uh, I actually think he's in trouble. I don't think his, I think he has very good wrestling, but his grappling and his submission defense is is not capable of defending with Oliveira. So I think he's got to keep it standing. He's got to find a way to use his feints to land power shots. And um, Oliveira is a guy who I think you have to put his lights out or he's going to keep coming. And he really, no one's really been able to put him out recently. I think he's got some early knockout losses to maybe Gray Maynard, Cowboy, Max Holloway, you know, years ago. But as of recent, he's hasn't been a guy that's been easy to put away. So, yeah, what about for Oliveira? What do you think his, his uh, path to victory is this week? I think it's come forward, use your striking, get Kevin Lee up against the fence, use your trip takedowns, which he's very, very good at and is not really 
an athletic or a wrestling maneuver so much as it is just a way to get the fight to the ground. And then I think lock up a submission. I, I really think Oliveira's jiu-jitsu, especially in this division, is is next level. And so I think if he could take Kevin Lee to the ground and get a submission, I think he'll be in really good shape. All right, what's your prediction? I'm gonna I'm gonna take Charles Oliveira's second round submission. I uh I love Kevin Lee. I love the move to uh to TriStar, but I, I kind of think Oliveira's starting to put it together and He's been fighting in the UFC since he was like 19 years old. So um, I, I actually think he's going to make a run at the title here. Okay, I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to go Kevin Lee. I think the move to TriStar has been gigantic for him. I think with the guidance of Frost Ahabi working with GSP, um, I just think he's going to be able to put it all together. And I think he has all the tools. Um, I do agree with you. I think there's going to be a lot of scrambles in this fight. Um, crazy wild scrambles, and I think Kevin Lee is going to catch him. Um, I think third round Kevin Lee TKO, he gets a finish, and then he gets on the mic and calls out Justin Gaethje. Cool. All right, let's um, let's give Billy another grappling talk topic to talk about. Damian Maya taking on Gilbert Burns. Tell us a little bit about this one. What's not to love here, Parker? I mean, this is like jujitsu worlds with punches involved. I mean, it's two guys who are black belts in jujitsu, who are world-class grapplers, who use their jujitsu in MMA, and they're going to fight. And we're going to get to watch it live. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for this fight. It's going to be awesome. Uh, But seriously, Damian Maya, let's talk about his legacy. The dude's got one of the best resumes in welterweight history. He's just, he's the epitome of a guy that's a specialist at something that has just been able to stay at elite, elite levels, beat a lot of the best guys in the world for, you know, the past 10 years. So and I, is this Damian Maya's retirement fight? Or is he going to have this one is more? it. This is it for Damian Maya. Um, you know, he's a guy to me. It's anyone, anytime, anywhere. Um, both of his title shots that he got in the UFC. He earned them to the highest degree. Um, he has an incredible resume of guys that he's fought. Um, he has, you know, gone incredibly far for a guy who really was a, a specialist, like you said. Um, and one of the most unique styles in all of MMA, I think his his kind of very methodical jujitsu game is something we'll probably never see again. And uh, I'm just I'm so impressed. I've enjoyed watching him so much over the years and, uh, you know, looking forward to, to one one last ride with Damian Maya. I mean, he has been in there with everyone. You look starting back in 2009, Chael Sonnen, Nate Markar, Anderson Silva, Mark Munoz, Chris Weidman, Rick Story, John Finch, Jake Shields, Rory McDonald, Neil Magny, Gunnar Nelson, Matt Brown, Carlos Condit. George Gamebred Mosvidov, T. Wood, Colby Covington, Usman, and then Ben Askren. Who who has a better welterweight resume than that? Like George St. Pierre, and that's probably <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to go down as one of the greats. So, um, yeah, I think this is a great matchup, great way for him to go out. Um, what's your prediction on this one? Ugh. 
You're gonna make me do it, aren't you? I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Gilbert Burns by decision. All right, I'm gonna roll with my guy, the old crafty veteran, Damian Maya. Second round submission. Let's get crazy. All right, two exciting, exciting light heavyweights back in action. Johnny Walker taking on Nikita Krylov. How do you like that Russian pronunciation, Billy? Uh. Unbelievable, Parker. Cru- like, truly, it. truly. Uh, the strides it. you've taken over the past two hours of us recording a podcast have <laughs> been unbelievable. All right, both of these guys coming off losses. Um, Krulov is coming off a decision loss to Glover Teixeira. Um, Corey Anderson viciously knocked out and put a halt to the hype train that was Johnny Walker. Um, this is a big spot for both of these guys to get back in the top 10 and start working their way back up to the top. What are your thoughts on this fight? I I don't see any way that this is an extremely weird fight. Um, I I think both of these guys have kind of bizarre, flashy styles. And I'll also be surprised if this makes it out of the first round because I think these guys are just going to go for it. And and I think they're going to try and kill each other. I agree. I think Johnny Walker's made his move to TriStar as well, hasn't he? Yeah, so he was posting uh, Instagrams of him up at TriStar with Faras, and I think that's a good move for him. I I got the feeling that Walker was kind of training with someone who wasn't at the level of the UFC in terms of coaching, and so I think moving to Faras Sahabi is really going to help him capitalize on his physical gifts. I, I still think that this guy could be the next big star in Brazil. You know, obviously he had the setback with Corey Anderson. He got caught. Um, that happens, you know, at the heavier weight classes, but this guy's got it all. He's got flair. He's got the walkouts. He's got the dancing abilities. He's got the weirdness. He's got the flash. He's got the spinning shit. Johnny Walker's a full package. And I still think one or two fights, he's one or two fights away from getting a shot with John Jones and still in the back of my mind, I think Johnny Walker's got a shot in hell at catching John Jones with some crazy shit. And that's really still one of the only people I see that could take down John Jones at light heavyweight if he decides to stay there. So this is a big spot for these two guys. Um, both of them need a big win here. Um, anything else from UFC Brasilia? That's it for me. I got Johnny Walker first round KO, though. I really like, I really like Johnny yeah. Walker in that fight. I'm going to roll with you. I think that's going to be a wild, wild first round. I'm going to go Johnny Knocker. Johnny Knocker. Johnny Walker with a flying knee or some sort of spinning shit. Knockout first round as well. Um, All right. Bellator's got a card this week in Bellator 241. You want to run through this and just kind of cover the the top um, two events? Yeah, so Friday night, Bellator's got a card from Uncasville, Connecticut, Mohegan Sun. Um, I think it's great what they're doing. They they have Paul Daly on this card, Matt Mitrione on this card, uh, Nick Newell and Mike Kimball, two local Connecticut guys, also on the card. So like that they're bringing a little bit of local flair. But the the two biggest fights on this card are the the featherweight Grand Prix uh, quarterfinals. It's uh, Emmanuel Sanchez taking on Daniel Veitchel. Both guys have have fought for the title before. This is actually a rematch from 2016. Uh, Sanchez is is a really crafty grappler. Wins by submission a lot. Veitchel is kind of that herky-jerky striking style. It's almost like a Sandhagen or a Dom Cruz. Um, Really funky movement. Got over 50 MMA fights. 
Um, he won the, the initial fight. Um, and I'm actually going to take Sanchez uh, in a decision to, to win this rematch and, and move on to fight the winner of uh, Pitbull against Pedro Carvalho. Um, this fight is, is interesting because of the beef. Um, Pitbull is obviously with uh, Eric Albaracin. It's Henry Cejudo's coach and Paulo Costa's coach. And then Pedro Carvalho is a Portuguese fighter out of SBG Ireland. So John Cavanaugh, Conor McGregor, Artem Lobov, James Gallagher, that whole crowd. And Pitbull's been really vocal about his beef with Carvalho. Um, on paper, I mean, Pitbull should mop the floor with this guy, but Carvalho surprised us before. He's really fast. He's a well-rounded fighter. He's got great jujitsu. Um, but I, I would look for Pitbull to kind of stand and bang with this guy and, and ultimately take him out. So I'm looking at a uh, rematch of Emmanuel Sanchez against Patricio Pitbull in the uh, in the semifinals of of this uh, Bellator Grand Prix. All right, you got a double hardcore segment in this week. All right, so let's keep it rolling. Keep the train rolling. We're coming up on an hour. We got current events. All right, please tell me you saw Paulo Costa knock out Logan Paul, and was that staged or is that not? What the fuck is going on there? Definitely staged, 100%. There's no way. Logan Paul doesn't put anything on the internet without staging it first. But book that fight. Super middle, super BMF title, Dana White. Logan Paul against Paulo Costa in MMA. Oh, please stop. All right. Then we had Brian TCDO Ortega barking up the wrong zombies tree by slapping a Korean pop star at the fights. Did you see the footage on that? And what do you think about that? I did see the footage and I saw Jay Park's interview on the Helwani show. Um, I, I think, I think Ortega's like a little more gangster than maybe we like to let on. He's got the pretty blue eyes and he kind of seems like America's sweetheart. But at the end of the day, this guy's still a UFC fighter I love that fight still. I love that's, the Ortega versus Korean zombie an, fight, especially fight. if we're booking Volkanovski uh, against Holloway rematch mm-hmm. in Australia. So um, I think this is just building the fight. So let it happen. I think you book that fight and then you book Zabit and uh, Yaya Rodriguez and you have kind of a Bingo. little playoff. Yeah. Uh, all right, we're on the same page there. All right, our favorite uh, fighters from UFC, when was that? Two weeks ago, Ion Kutalaba gets rebooked immediately against, I can't say this one, whatever, who cares? Ion Kutalaba is fighting again on the Tony Ferguson card. Thank God. Thank the UFC gods. Honest, honestly, the only fight that should be the main event over this is Khabib Tony. <laughs> they should immediately downgrade Rose Andrade and make Kutalaba against Magomed and Kalaev the co-main event because I am so excited for this fight. Oh my god. Alright, another one I'm excited for. Allegedly, word on the street, Corey Sanhagen going to be taking on veteran Dominic Cruz in San Diego coming up. Um, that's an awesome fight. I've been calling for that fight for the last probably six months or so. Dom has kind of been on the shelf, been hurt, trying to get back. Um, that's the perfect fight for me. I, I think that's incredible. How about that as the co-main event in San Diego? 
behind Dustin Poirier against Dan Hooker. I mean, Let's what go. a night. Let's go. Yeah, I'm so... What, what, what month is that? Is that... July, June or July, right? Sometime this summer. Okay. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. I, I love that. Um, all right, then we had some breaking news. Um, Edson Barbosa, we talked about him maybe a month or so ago, was planning to move down to 145. Now he's asking to be released from the UFC. What do you think's going on here? And do you think we'll see him make an exit for the UFC? And where's he going to go? UFC is not going to release him. I think if you look at, at Nick Diaz, like they're not going to release, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. You're, you're, you're not going to get released from the UFC because that just helps their, their competitors. But I think what he figured out is making 145 was a lot harder than he thought it was going to be. And so he's realizing that his shot at the title in the UFC at 155 is probably gone and he can probably make more money elsewhere. So he's looking to get released, but I think he's getting, they're going to make him fight out his deal. Right. All right. Um, all right, now it's time for the newest segment of Parker's MMA show, the two random questions. I'm going to let you go first. All right. If you could create an MMA promotion and put it in any arena, right? So a cage, a ring, the Yama Pit, the Joe Rogan basketball court MMA, whatever you want to do. What? Where would you have your fights take place? Oh, Jesus. <sighs> I really like the one. It was a kickboxing promotion that has, has like a ramp. And it's kind of at the bottom of a dome. So people, you know, the, the seats go up around it. It's kind of a ramp where there's no cage. So that would eliminate a lot of, you know, cage work. Um, I like that. I, I just thought the visibility, I'll have to find a picture of it and post it on the Instagram, but I, it was like Chuck Norris or someone's karate or kickboxing organization. Karate and I think, combat. Well, I think Wonder Boy fought in it. I think I watched a video of Wonder Boy fighting in it, but it was like a, you know, maybe like a 45 degree angle, maybe six feet tall. And then the pit was at the bottom and the crowd was up above. I just I love that view. I thought that was really cool. There was no interference with the cage. There's no cameramen standing in the way. You can look down. It's like broadcast teleview on FIFA. I thought I really like that. What about you? Um, I love uh the M1 promotion in Russia has this like octagonal ring that has cage fencing at the bottom of it. If you Google M1 ring. I think that I think every MMA promotion should fight in that thing. And it's got ropes. It's got ropes at the top and cage oh. at the bottom. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then it's kind of elevated. Yeah, it's elevated. Huh. All right, I'm down with that. Um, all right, my question for you. So Mick Maynard, Dana White, Sean Shelby get together. What are the three biggest money fights they can make in 2020? You can only use Conor McGregor for two of them. Okay, number number one money fight for 2020 is Brock Lesnar against John Jones. Um, really? I think that's I think that's a I think that sells bananas. Like I think that's a crazy crazy fight. Oh, okay. And then I would probably book Conor versus Khabib two and Conor versus Nate two. 
Yeah, we're so I had Connor Connor could be one. I think that's going to be the biggest fight in combat history, especially if Connor comes back and has a vicious knockout against Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker, Justin Gaethje. One of them, if he can get some steam behind him leading into that Khabib rematch, I think that'll break all the records, even Floyd Floyd versus Connor records. Um, so that's number one for me. Number two is Nate versus Connor. I, I don't know why. If they're not going the Justin Gaethje route, why have you not booked Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor? What are we waiting for? It's a no-lose situation for anyone. If he goes in there and loses, he can still talk his way into the Khabib fight. That's a no-brainer for me. That one needs to get booked. And then the third one, I think John Jones versus the winner of Stipe or DC is a more realistic uh, fight. We're going to get at heavyweight. And I think if they could somehow talk DC into taking a third fight... I don't want to see it personally, but I just think that would be a gigantic lead up to that fight. That would be a huge fight. I like all three of those. All right. I have a follow-up question for you. Give our audience, since you're the Japanese MMA specialist, who is the most entertaining character in Japanese MMA? Oof. So I feel like we talk about this guy every week, but he really does have one of the best freak show fights I've ever seen. Genki Sudo against Butterbean rules as a freak show fight. It rocks. Um, the other one I love is uh, Fedor against Hungmin Choi, who's like an eight-foot-tall man. Um, is that the guy that fought Don Fry, that had that crazy fight with Don Fry? No, that's, uh, that's Takayama that you're okay. thinking of. Okay. Um, the best character in Japanese MMA, I mean, it has to be Kazushi Sakuraba. I mean, he's like, if you've never seen like the Super Mario walkout from Kazushi Sakuraba, it is so awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, is that it? I think that's it, Parker. I don't have anything left for you, man. We're talking about Japanese freak show fights. <laughs> We're getting crazy. All right. Uh, episode 27 in the books. We'll be back. I am taking off to Ireland for 10 days, so I'll be out of the country. We will get an episode out before Tony and Khabib. Um, everyone, I really, really appreciate the support. Continue to like, subscribe, share with your friends. Do all that good stuff. All the platforms, YouTube, Spotify, podcast. Anywhere you get your audio and video. Billy, any closing remarks? Watch more Japanese MMA. Everyone go watch Joanna Weiling Zhang if you haven't seen that. If you have, watch it again. One of the best fights of all time. All right. Till next time. Till next track, time, Parker. I'm going to go track down Conor McGregor and get him to fight Justin Gaethje. <laughs> That's my goal <laughs> See for you later, Ireland, buddy. Ireland 2020 trip. All right. Later. Texas Trees is the premier tree care company in the DFW area. Whether you need basic maintenance or specialized services, when it comes to trees, we've got you covered. Pruning, chipping, bracing, and cabling, even root barriers and disease control, we do it all. And if you aren't sure what you need, we have certified arborists on staff to point you in the right direction. Visit us at NorthTexasTrees.net. That's NorthTexasTrees.net. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts 
And visit Parker Keen's MMA show.podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes. 